Well, Happy New Year, everybody. If you're keeping track, it's January of 2024, but I don't want to start in January of 24. I want to start in September of 2023, the beginning of September. My wife, Chambliss, called across the house. Hey, do you want to run in a turkey trot with me? We go to Raleigh to have Thanksgiving with my family. There are plenty of turkey trotting options in Raleigh on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, I thought to myself for a moment, and I thought, you know, I'm a runner. I love running. As long as I can remember enjoying doing sporty things, I've loved running more than any of them. And I thought, you know, it's been 2019 since I really did any good running. This feels like a great opportunity to do it again. And so I shouted back, yes, I'd love to. What better idea would I have had than to wake up on Thanksgiving morning, get the blood pumping, you know, feel good about all the calories you're about to consume and make my wife happy at the same time. This is a win-win. And I thought I got plenty of time to get ready for this turkey trot. Well, round about the beginning of October, I looked at the calendar and I thought, I do not have that long to get ready for this turkey trot. I ought to start doing that or I'm going to like, I'm going to hurt myself. I got to get just out there a little bit. By the beginning of November, I thought, man, not only am I going to hurt myself, I'm going to embarrass myself. This is terrible. So I got online and I Googled couch to 5K in three weeks. Now, the problem with all those websites, well, the good news is, is that I wasn't alone. Clearly, somebody else is asking the same question because there are tons of websites about it. Uh, but they all started with a paragraph disclaimer about what a terrible idea I had and what a terrible human I was for waiting until the last minute to try and get in shape. And I was probably going to injure myself and never run again. Um, so I didn't use any of those websites. Also, they wanted me to run like four or five times a week to get ready. And I wasn't going to do that clearly. So I got out there a little bit. I jogged here. I jogged there. I tried it out. felt good. And on Thanksgiving Day, it was a great morning. It was a great morning. Uh, we got up. The weather was fantastic, if you remember how wonderful it was. And uh, my heart did almost explode up one hill. But on the other side of it, it's like my body, we had a conversation. We were like, hey, don't you remember we used to love this? Think of how good this feels. We should do this more often. Cross the finish line, high five my wife rehydrated, did a little bit of stretching, went and enjoyed a lovely Thanksgiving day. But I noticed that uh, the bottom of my shoes were really worn out uh, because I've been wearing them for a couple of years and, you know, they just, I needed new shoes. If I'm going to get back to running, I needed new shoes. And so um, I got online the next day, um, you know, it was uh, Black Friday. And so I, I went, I found a good pair of shoes at a good price, the type of shoes that I love running in more than anything. Uh, in fact, this, this right here is those pair of shoes. Still with that new, new shoe smell. Anybody with me? Uh, anybody else got a pair of shoes that they ordered and haven't ever worn? You know, I think of myself as a runner. I identify as a runner. It's a thing that I think of when I think of myself. Um, I desire to be a runner. I desire to run. I desire to be in shape again right? I have the best of intentions. I've even taken concrete steps with those intentions. I occasionally will go to a store to get the things that I need in order to be able to be a runner. But none of it matters if I don't put on the shoes and start walking. You with me? Two weeks ago, we got together around here and we celebrated the birth of a child. The birth of a child that we believe changed everything, everything. 
And I could try to convince you of that by reminding you that angels appeared to humans heralding his birth and that the things that they promised would come true actually came true. I could remind you that there was celestial events that faraway people in faraway places saw, realized that something was afoot, followed their intuition and discovered exactly the thing that they were looking for. I could remind you that at his birth, the rulers, the principalities and powers that were in place wiped out an entire generation of Jewish children just to try to rid the world of his existence. I could point to all those things to try and convince you that this child changed everything. Or I could just point out that last two weeks ago, Fuquay Arena in our church, Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church, over 2,000 people gathered in person to come and to celebrate this child's birthday. I don't even have the online numbers yet. I couldn't get 2,000 people together for my birthday if I paid them $13,000. And instead, these 2,000 people all got together and in quarters and nickels and dimes and $1 bills and some larger ones, they gave over $13,000 as a gift to this child and the ones whom this child loves more than anybody else. This is, this is an incredible reminder, not just that the birth of Jesus changes everything, but that the birth of Jesus must have, at some point in time, changed somebody's everything. Jesus came not just to, to bring us a, a new religion, a, a new set of beliefs, a new philosophy, or an updated set of rules. Jesus came with an invitation. An invitation wasn't to a new set of beliefs. It was to a new way of life. In fact, long before they invented the word Christian, little Christs, they called the followers of Jesus people of the way. People who lived in the way of Jesus. I would suggest to you that the greatest evidence for the profound change that took place at the birth of Jesus isn't the movement of the stars or at his death, the shaking of the earth or the eclipse. It, it's the fact that for the last 2,000 years, someone has decided to, to take the belief that they had in Jesus, to, to slip it on, to lace it up, and to walk in the way of Jesus. And that that changed their life in such profound ways that they insisted to their friends, to their neighbors, to their relatives, to the successive generations year after year, that this birth of this child could change everything for you too. So that 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, in a little tiny place called Fuquaverina, at just one of its many beautiful expressions of church, 2,000 people would gather to celebrate the birth of the one who changed everything. That's pretty incredible, I think, at least. What do I mean when I say the birth of Jesus changed everything? What do I think I mean, when I suggest that Jesus' invitation wasn't just to a new set of beliefs, but to a way of life. Here's what I mean. Just go with me for, for a brief moment on an excursus. Um, at the beginning of the world, the Bible tells us that God created everything, not just to look a particular way, but to work together in a particular way. 
uh, for the benefit of everything else. The old rabbis called this state of being shalom. We translate it as peace, but it's more than just peace. That's the absence of violence. It's peace that's harmony and flourishing, everything working together, everything as it should be. Um, and uh, God created the world in shalom, but we as humans, we thought that we could reorder things in a way that benefited us more. And when we did, we broke it. We took everything and we turned it upside down. And the thing that we believe does that, we call sin. Sin is both a cosmic reality, right? Um, it's a, a collective thing. Sin, we believe, now infests God's good creation. Uh, thorns infest the ground. Far as the curse is found, we say that uh, when we sing joy to the world. Um, but we also believe that that's not just a like a communal reality or a cosmic reality. We also believe it's a personal reality. Like we ourselves got turned upside down. Things are disordered. Things are not humming along. They're not working the way that they're supposed to work. They're clicking and clacking against each other. But God promised us at that moment when everything got turned on its head, that one day God would turn everything back to the right, that God would restore shalom to the world once more. And we see all through the course of scripture, God working to do just that. And we see the gift of Jesus, God's only begotten son, as kind of this epic all-out rescue mission to restore shalom once more to the world. The challenge is, when we're used to living in an upside-down world, turning the world right side up again seems to shake things up in a way that honestly sometimes makes us uncomfortable. It's like we want it, we want God to, to make our life full and whole, but sometimes we don't want to have to deal with the reality of what it's going to take for our life to be turned right side up again. It's just kind of easier to stay on the couch. Early in Jesus's career as, as a preacher, this was equally um, the charge against him as it was at the end of his life. We know at the end of his life, in fact, after his uh, death and resurrection, um, there's some leaders in a town that say the followers of Jesus have come here. These people, they're turning the world upside down, right? That was their that was their accusation that they levied against the followers of Jesus. They're living in a way that turns things upside down. We can't, we can't allow this. But that wasn't just a reality at the end of his life. That had been a reality since the very beginning of it. Uh, today, I want us to read uh, for a short moment, uh, one of Jesus's first sermons. Um, I think we see, uh, we see the uh, people kind of responding so negatively uh, to Jesus, not just at the end of his career, uh, but at the beginning of it as well. Um, I'd like to read the first part of his sermon. We'll pause for a second, and then we'll read the second half uh, to give you a sense of, of what I'm talking about. Uh, we're in chapter four of the Gospel of Luke here. If you uh, are following along in your Bible, uh, your editors of your Bible might have added um, uh, an additional heading that says the beginning of Jesus's ministry in uh, Galilee. That would be the region or in Nazareth. That would be the town, uh, the town that Joseph was from. Mary and Joseph were living there before they went to Bethlehem for the taxation. Um, and they have now returned there. In fact, it says, Jesus filled with the power of the spirit returned to Galilee and to report about him spread throughout all the surrounding countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Uh, chapter 61, if you're curious. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he read out loud, because he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me to release the oppressed, right? Or sometimes we translate it to let the oppressed go free, but it's the same word release there twice. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Jubilee. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Immediately, it says, all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words, the words of grace, the words of love that came from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? All right. This, by the way, feels like a great first sermon. Um, everybody's happy to have him there. Reports about him have been spreading like wildfire. Like this is the next Billy Graham. You've got to come out and hear him. So everybody comes out. They come out to listen to the things that he has to say. They all gather together. And he reads a well-known passage from a well-known prophet, Isaiah. But he doesn't just read it. He's reading it like in the first person, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to God's people that you're going to be given good things, that you're going to be released from your debts, that anything that is impoverishing your life is going to be restored, right? He's using shalom-filled words. And when he says, today this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing, I mean, this is like the scroll drop of all scroll drops, right? And everyone is just, they love this is great news. Shalom is finally being restored. The spirit of the Lord is clearly upon this person. It looks like this thing is finally going to happen for all of us. Everyone is excited. This is like an Oprah moment. You're getting released from your debts. You're getting released from your debts. Everybody, you're getting released from your debts. Applause is just happening. People are going wild. Everyone is all fired up about it. This is great news. What a relief. Hallelujah. And then someone says, wait, isn't this Joseph's boy? Like, that's even better news. If God's going to do this for all of God's people, like he's one of us. We know him. He knows us. This is fantastic. If this is good news for everybody, it's great news for us because we're going to get extra from it because he's from our hometown. He's one of us. Like he's, he's here. This is great. But then comes the second half of the sermon. It's like Jesus hears the applause and hears the accolades and was like, I can't stand for this, so I'm going to keep talking. And he does. And basically, as he does, he continues. You can go read the passages or find the passages in the Old Testament that he's referencing. But he basically tells them two stories about two other prophets, one Elijah and one Elisha. These are the two like greatest prophets in Israel's history. Um, and he tells them about times for both of these prophets when the Spirit of the Lord was upon them and God sent them during tumultuous times, during terribly upside-down times when the heavens had been shut up, when there was famine and people were dying and people were being riddled with disease. And he tells them about in both of these times, God anointed someone to come and to bring healing and release from the upside-downness of the world that they were in. But both times, both times, the people that God sends comes to someone that didn't deserve it, to someone who didn't belong. The first one, God sends God's prophet Elijah to a widow who lived in a foreign country and spared the life of her and her baby rather than the lives of God's people in Israel. The second example Jesus gives, God sends God's prophet Elisha to a foreign general who had invaded the Holy Land and taken children 
captive, hostage, and taking them back to serve in his castle. And he's the one that got healed. Now, Jesus, when he said these things, wasn't negating the first part of what he had to say. He was still there. It was still true. He had still been anointed. He had still been anointed by God to to announce good news, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He had still been released. uh, He had still been sent by God to release folks for the new fullness of all the shalom that God had in store for their lives. It was just that. It was just that. Uh, It wasn't exactly what they were expecting to hear. This wasn't just a free handout to the insiders, was a gift far greater than their hearts could imagine. And it felt to them like Jesus was turning the world upside down. Because it's like he was saying to them, these things aren't necessarily just for you. But they're for the outsiders. They're for the people who don't deserve them. Jesus' upside down reality from the beginning basically stated that those who think they are deserving are often the ones that Jesus is not serving. And those who are confident that they are not worthy, it is for them that Jesus has come. How, might you ask, did they respond to the second part of Jesus's message? Shall we say, not well? Could we say, attempted murder? It says, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with rage. Literally a verse ago, they were like clapping for him. This is amazing. Hallelujah. Now, everyone in the synagogue who heard it, they were filled with rage. They got up, they drove him out of town. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This was attempted murder. This was legally enforceable attempted murder. They were leaning on the same legal code that they would lean on three years later when they hung him on a cross. But again, I want to suggest to you that it's not its not the, a new belief or a new set of rules that Jesus was bringing. It's not even his proclamation that he had been anointed by God as the Messiah to bring the good news that was a problem for people. It was who this good news was for. And it was what it was going to cost those of us to participate in the good news that he came to bring. If he had just stopped at the part where he said, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. Your life doesn't have to change. Everything's great. You're just going to get a bunch of wonderful free stuff. If he had stopped there, people would have just loved him. But they turned on him when he told them that it might cost them something. We see from the beginning that Jesus isn't just there to posit a new philosophy. He's not there just to reboot an old set of rules into a new, more relevant set of rules. He was there to change everything. And of course, the sad irony of that is that what Jesus was doing was turning the world right side up again. But when you've been so used to an upside down world, right side up can feel pretty unsettling all the same. And still, Jesus came with an invitation, an invitation to a new way of life, an invitation, not just to a new set of beliefs or a new set of rules, but a a new way of living to a, a life that is real life, a life that is full life, a life that is a released life, forgiven, freed, healed, 
so that we can go be the people that God created us to be, experience the shalom for which God has intended. If we're going to do that, if we're going to do that, we've got to lace up our faith and go for a walk. It's not enough to just identify as a follower of God. It's not just enough to desire to to do something with that or even to have the best of intentions or to show up every once in a while at a place that can help us do those things. We've got to we got to put on our faith and 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 take a step. Got to go for a walk. And that's what we'd like to encourage you to do over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to make the case that Jesus changed everything uh, for the world and that Jesus can change your everything as well. And we'd love a chance to journey alongside you, uh, to help be a partner with you as you learn what it's like to, to lace up your faith and go for a walk. I want you to hear me say one more thing real clearly before I let you go. And that is this. The good news is that Jesus isn't waiting at the finish line for us to figure out how to accomplish something before we can receive the love of God. Jesus meets each and every one of us on the couch, right? Uh, Even, I believe, the desire to desire a faith is a gift from God. It is a gift from God because Jesus has met us in the place where we are and is going to journey with us until we can experience the fullness of life that God has in store for us, the fullness of that shalom, things as they should be, that Jesus has changed everything for us. Jesus is going to journey with us until we have experienced a way of life that is far more fulfilling than our hearts even have the capacity to imagine. This is the journey that we're on together, and it is an honor and a privilege to be on it with you. And I want you to know that not only are we journeying together, but uh, I will be praying for you. We will be praying for you, uh, especially for those of you who are taking your first uh, few steps. Grace and peace. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, We'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fvumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, So we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, If this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else while you're there, the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.